Welcome to What Do You Understand, brought to you by Global Partners for Development. I'm your host, Rhea Pullen, and together we'll explore the world of philanthropy and development, confronting global disparities and the impacts of our collective efforts. Joining me is my co-host, Daniel Casanova, the Executive Director of Global Partners for Development. So, are you ready to question what you understand? Let's dive right in. Our guest today is Dr. Huda Gozi. She is the co-founder of Open Startup, an NGO that aims to bridge the gap between education and entrepreneurship by connecting students and recent graduates with industry stakeholders. Open Startup fosters public-private partnerships, promotes entrepreneurial culture, and collaborates with global experts to create impactful programs and communities. Tune in as we delve into their initiatives aimed at empowering aspiring entrepreneurs across North Africa, the Middle East, and beyond. So my name is Oudé Rosi. I'm initially a professor of strategy, so I come from the field of academia. And I come from a country where um, you wake up one day and there is no more leadership. So the president left the country and like after 40 years or so with a country running under a president, um, that's really a moment in your life where you're like, okay, now what's going to happen? Like it's as if you wake up and your parents are not back home and you're like, okay, what's going to happen now? And I think that you have two options, whether you have this, um, I'd say, pessimistic perspective to say, oh, this is really going to be terrible. Or you just say, this is the moment to take action. And this is the moment where you can become a citizen. And so basically, starting from there, I shifted my career, built this NGO called Open Startup, serving the same beneficiary, which is like youth, students, fresh graduates, people who we need to empower. And that's definitely equipping them with skills, but also giving them exposure and um, giving them hope. And I think that the mix of those three elements can only take people forward. And that's what I've been doing in the last seven years. Oh, so the last seven years. Oh, Amazing. okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, and um, you do you, like, do you have children? Do you? Yes. Okay, there you go. Do you like them? So Aisha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, liking them is not the right word. Hello. <laughs> she's 13. She's 13. Oh, and her that's name like, is Aisha, which means okay. the lively one. And oh, she's 100%. Yeah. Uh, I have an Isla. She's 10. And she's lively and spitfire. His daughter's also yeah. same yeah. age, too. So we get it. We get it. It's amazing. Beautiful. Girls are ruling the world, right? Yeah. Beautiful. Oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> As they should. We get things done. We get things yeah. done. Yeah. And you're trying. So did you just get here today? You... So I arrived two days ago. I wanted to okay. get ready. I had some rehearsal yesterday, etc. So I felt super prepared. You did great up there. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You were amazing <laughs> up there. Thank you. I know she. You were so inspired. I was watching up there from the little press area, and I was like, "Oh, she's incredible!" <laughs> I was like, "I'd love to speak with her." And he texts me like, "Ad lib." He's like, "We're gonna meet with her." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so exciting! No, it's my pleasure. Just because you know, we truly believe in the opportunities in the youth in in Africa and mm -hmm. on the continent. To be honest, there's no other option. No. Yeah. It's like you have no other option. Like take Uganda, median age, fifteen. Yeah, fifteen. That's crazy. One right. Year. Well, and especially because like the AIDS epidemic, like yeah. there's whole generations that are just missing. 70% yeah. below 30. Wow. And imagine if these people are not going to be finding solutions, they're going to go from unemployed to people who are retiring without an allowance. So you're double trouble. Right. It's like yeah. you really need to be part of the solution in Africa. And the solution is, you know, like as of today, when you look at like the media, 
you see boat people, you see kids running in the dust, but you don't see a narrative. And I think that that's really what's missing. And that's why I'm very happy to be here, is to tell you, I've been working in Africa for seven years now. And it's a totally different story that we see. Mm -hmm. We do see youth learning coding. We do see women. I mean, in Tunisia, 70% yeah. of our scientists are women. Wow. Um, if you look at universities, uh, engineers, more than 60% are engineers, women in tech. Then when you look at like going to the, I mean, the starting the venture, they start decreasing. Mm -hmm. The number starts decreasing clearly, but there is a potential. Um, and, and in general, imagine like if you're an African, you can't travel. So asking you this question, you probably have an American visa. Yeah. What was your first trip in your life? Oh, to us? Mm -hmm. me? Oh. Oh, I'm a, I'm a child of the military, so I, traveled a lot. I, I traveled my whole life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I've traveled, I traveled a lot. You know, my first trip was to Cuba. Yeah. yeah. Africans <laughs> would not. Yeah, yeah. No, right? Because they, they don't have a visa. Well, no, right. we have employees yeah. that we've tried, we, we try yeah. to get out. Our employees that we can't, can't come here. So Imagine, can. you're yeah. not the citizen yeah. of the world, and they ask you to be a global entrepreneur. Yeah. What world are we talking about? Oh, totally, yeah. So us, what we try to do is through the language of innovation, through the language of entrepreneurship, where it's all about how creative you can be, we get them, we're building this bridge with the US and we're saying, listen, give us a chance. Yeah. Let's try to bring along people who are building solutions in Africa. And then if you think about it, like Africa is the best laboratory because you can experiment at scale. Yeah. And if the solutions work, you can bring them to the Western countries. Yeah. So it's like Africa is part of the solution. It's not the problem. And exactly. it has to be part of the solution because demographically, everyone's growing old. Yeah. And it's the only continent where you're gonna have youth working mm -hmm. with digitalization. You would need to get them to work even from Africa for the Western countries that are Yeah, yeah And business needs to say, those are their future customers as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You're gonna leave the world behind is what's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> All the cool people are on the continent. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think it's, you know, you know, I say this really, because I think, you know, I've worked in the field long enough where, like, you know, there's this space when I was young where, like, you know, there's all these young, aspiring Americans and Europeans going to, to want to work in Africa and, like, yeah. be there and, like, have this experience, like, oh, I lived in this village or I did this thing, and, like, they have that thing, and it's like, What's the irony of it and the flip where we are now is like... And they know what their communities need. Yeah. yeah. They're creating the solutions that their immediate community needs. Yeah. They don't need to leave home for a better life. They can create that better life within, their, within and, their homes. And then probably the difference with the U.S. is that as much as in the U.S., probably the narrative when it comes to Silicon Valley and unicorns and billion dollars in Africa, it's a, really an entrepreneurship for sustainability, for mm -hmm. survival. But at the same time, like the the scope of opportunities is tremendous. Everything needs to be solved. Like yeah. no access to water, yeah. no transportation, no health, no, no education. No, 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 no. Yeah. And, and you just need to have homegrown solutions. Exactly. That where absolutely we need the Western countries to be holding Africa and to they just need to share wealth. They just need to move the money. <laughs> they need to cooperate yeah. as alter egos. That's what needs to happen in the future. Yeah. Yes, and so they can, you know, spend the money for from the government on their people, as opposed to having to spend all that money repaying debt to the World Bank, to the IMF. You know, yeah. cancel that debt, and let the solutions <laughs> yeah. happen within yeah. the country. And, and, and here I'm probably going to be a bit provocative, but you know, if you look at 
um, like how the UK, I mean, industrial revolution in general, Africa contributed a lot in different ways, oh. labor, uh -huh. resources, and that allowed for those countries to develop, exactly. not caring about the environment at that time. And as of today, we're asking all the other poor people to be careful in the development and, and that like carbon print and so on and so forth. Who has a debt? Is yeah. it Africa or developing world? As I think it's like, I totally agree on this debt question. I really think that this is a kind of situation that we should just bury and move on helping Africa because Africa is an engine, not because it's charity, because exactly. it's part of the solution, because we will need them demographically, and because you can't continue to see so many people dying in the Mediterranean every year. I mean, I come from Tunisia. This is like my daily bread and, bread and, bread and butter. We're constantly saying, oh, 1,000, 100 dead, 20. What is this? This is survival mode. This is the yeah. same way the Mayflower arrived to the US. Mm -hmm. People would always want to survive, no matter what it takes. And so it's not, I mean, we tend to forget that what's happening in Africa it's historically the same movement. When a human being is starved, yeah. he or she decides to leave, taking the risk of their lives. And exactly. I think that this is the reality that we also need to tell people because every one of us has been an immigrant somehow in their history. Yeah. Yep. Oh, agreed, yes. I, I, um, there's like so many of those negative things we could talk about about Tunisia <laughs> or like sad <laughs> things, especially right now. There's like, I, yeah. I know, but I, I'm curious, like, I always want to talk, I mean, when I heard you speak about the space, people always think of Africa as like this safari place or like yeah. some of our giraffes we were saying. I was like, I, I'm curious, like, what is your, like, take me to where you grew up and like, what's your favorite place to eat and what's that like? And <laughs> what does the space look like? And like, how is that? What brings you joy when you think about your home? Yeah, Tunisia is that country that has a special light, a special sun, and a special population that's welcoming, uh, cheerful, and that has a sense of humor. It's a kind of the British type of sense of humor, always joking about themselves and how mm. stupid we like can be. And how, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I would say, how Tunisians are. Uh, food is tremendous everywhere. Fresh foods, yeah. fresh vegetables, uh, fish. Um, I mean, it's a kind of really a type of country where you could taste a lot of street food as well, harissa, shakshuka, mm. uh, and, and so many other things. Um, it's a 12 million inhabitant country that has a very specific magical history. Um, and, and honestly, like I'm, it's not because I'm Tunisian that I'm but, saying this. It's like Tunisia has always been a crossroad of civilization. Yeah. Historically, it had President Bourguiba who um, offered the women the possibility to vote before France, and this is something we have to remember. Wow, um, And who put like most of the budget of the government into education, offering free education for anyone who would be enrolled in a university overseas. Yeah. So what he has created in the, say, 60s, 70s, 80s, and then of course he didn't know how to leave as often, unfortunately, mm -hmm. in our countries, but the exercise, and I think he shifted a paradigm. He, he really demonstrated that the keywords are always the same, more or less. Education, health, trust, right language, good leadership, you're off to go. Mm -hmm. So, and then, then, I mean, it's been more difficult. Um, 23 years of another president didn't want to leave. He left, then we had the Islamist way. But at the same time, this is the history of a maturity of a country. And you know, I, I hear a lot, even myself, like as a Tunisian, I'm like sometimes super bored, but I'm asking you this question. How much time 
before the US, how much time before Europe really ended up building democracy? Hundreds of years. Yeah. yeah. And we expect Tunisia in right. 23 years to rocket side. Well, it the West expects. It's, it's awkward where West wants to be able to have yeah. companies and yeah. spaces and figure and elect who the leaders are. I mean, we, you know, we know the model. We need yeah. time. Yeah. We need time and yeah. we need to figure out how to build leaders that are ethically adapted to what we want our century to look like. We need time to build the right political model. Uh, and we need also countries that really try to help us move into a model that we can um, that adapts to, to the way our population sees mm -hmm. things happen. And, and at the same time, Tunisia is like that country that's super open, like yeah. 3000 years of civilization in under which we had the Romans, the Phoenicians, you name it. Everyone was at one point of time in Tunisia. So you really feel it. And I think that that's, if you say, what's Tunisia? Tunisia I would say it's really this openness of a country that has in its DNA um, openness as a core value. And so in your organization, do you work outside of Tunisia and the public? Okay, yeah. So well, yeah. we started testing in Morocco. Um, then we learned a lot, did some mistakes, good, did some good things and identified the ecosystem. And then we moved to, to uh, Jordan. We worked a lot in Jordan, uh, Senegal, okay. and we're launching our office. I'm going there at the end of this week. Uh, we're also about to launch in Togo. Okay. Oh, so okay. we look at countries actually that we call challengers. We I don't think the big four need us. So if we take Nigeria, South Africa, etc., we're not needed. We go to countries that want to see their ecosystem thrive. And that's precisely our positioning. We go there and we take our friends from Colombia and MIT and we tell them, guys, do you want to do something cool in Africa? <laughs> and they have been amazing in, in building a real, and this is a real, genuine partnership where, I mean, you see faculty intervene in Africa, students do their internships, student exchange on both sides, access to ecosystems. And, and I think that that's really a showcase of how we can build the right type of cooperation and partnership. Right, that mentorship is probably priceless. And they don't have to leave their country to go do that. Absolutely. Which is amazing. Absolutely. But we got to ask you the best We're question. Gonna, yeah. Okay. Before we send the you off. last question. This is the thing. So it's like, so this is the thing to think about. It's like, what's something that you understand particularly well that you feel certain of that like you, you can like invest in and tell people and be like, I know I, I you know, like I'm invested in this and I know that there's, this is the direction we should yeah. head. I think it's probably related to my experience 20 years as a professor. I think that um, if there is one thing I'm, I could really bet my house on, and my family and husband, <laughs> <laughs> is that if you take any human being, and like a fly, flower, you put them in the fertile soil, and you spread the water, and you give role models, and a bit of sun, and a bit of skills, and hope, and the right narrative, and the good direction, because they see leaders that are doing the things the right way. If you put them in a community, I mean, all of the problems that we see today in specifically exclusion of youth and their unemployability, drugs, drug addiction, mental health issues, all of that would be solved. And we see it, I mean, it's like a kid, like that's the specific age, like you have the chapter of being a kid, but when you're say eight, 15, 
19, if you manage to have good skills, role models, international exposure, hope, trust, you can only move forward. Uh, it's very difficult to get someone to, to fail. Yeah. yeah, I love the hope part of it. Me too. I, <laughs> no, 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 hope's, yeah. a, big, Logically, hope's a big thing. It, absolutely, you wake up, you have no hope. How do you want to move on? You can't keep on going. Yeah. You need to wake up and say, I can make it, yeah. it's gonna happen. And have purpose. There's no yeah. curse, there must be a solution. And once you have that, the engine is, yeah. hmm, you're off to go. For I used to talk about, I used to work with, with refugees and then I always think that one of the things that's terrible about a refugee camp, although there's like, yeah. it's sometimes it's the only space that people can be in, so there's like, it is an intervention, but if you don't integrate people into the economy, they, you, you, you can't have hope, you can't like live in this space. And so it's like people lose hope in those spaces. And like when you look at other models, like, you know, the Tibetans being integrated into India or like Guatemalans being integrated into Mexico, like not put in refugee camps, but allowed to participate yeah. in the economy. Like those, those as, as, as refugees, those people thrive. But if you look at people that are stuck in like the Dob and like the, if you're just going to put someone somewhere and not there's no future for them they're, they're, it's, yeah. they they lose hope and it's yeah. like it is such it's like such a powerful thing it's amazing yeah. yeah you know we this is like part of the work that we do um you know we've started a fund the grassroots fund to be like the seed funding for these entrepreneurs in east africa where because you know he was telling me that you know funders are always like we want you know we're going to give it to grassroots organizations but it really, really looks like is there like yeah. already established you know yeah. like yeah. how about the person with a great idea who's maybe not even literate but has a solution for their community yeah. um and so you know we're working with these women in turkana who are you know trying to make something of their lives send their kids to school and so they have their own little entrepreneurial businesses but all they need is just a little bit of a boost not to be told what to do nothing we yeah. just go and listen to their idea and support their idea and it's it's been really really interesting but one of the ones we supported was i don't know have you heard of menya accelerator in burundi yeah so it's very similar it's a it's a it's an entrepreneurial camp in it and agriculture to help support these young burundians because they also have a very very young population yeah. and it's it's incredible just we supported their first camp and from that we've then supported their entrepreneurial ideas when it comes to fish farming one was for digitized healthcare, and these are just people who have been educated here and they want to stay in their communities and yeah. it's amazing are any of your entrepreneurs are they all in those areas or do you have any in east africa we're always looking for entrepreneurs to support yeah. so they're they're in the countries where we operate yeah. okay now, but we have a program called grow that helps grow. Uh, startups that fundraise for 250k or so mm -hmm. reach their first million and that is pan-african so we get startups okay. coming from all over so, africa yeah. um, around like i think 20 countries have okay then uh, 500 uh, applied for 12 spots because we we do it for yeah. free and we give them access we really give them money direct money to hire yeah. and money to the international exposure because we don't talk about it sufficiently but again yeah it's not a tourism agency but right. but it's if you don't see you can't project yourself and you're not going to yeah. build something that's global really quickly because i'm sure you have to go what's your there must be like a um a favorite project or entrepreneur yeah. that's like come out of like there must be mm. something like when you're like oh this is the mm. one that i'm like oh it makes mm. you know yeah, i know you have a lot i'm sure in the last seven I years i tend to like educational programs because we see 
a lot of people who leave the program and who really build platforms to educate all types of beneficiaries. Usually I do have, uh, I, I do love them. And, and then there's also another little project that I love, which is a woman that's, it's called Kulni. And so it's cookies that are personalized. It's a very small little project, but that has an incredible turnover that also demonstrates that it's also about building a venture that's just could be a basic product that's kind of digitalizing. But like oftentimes we tend to exclude those projects that are not very heavy in technology while they're just creating sometimes more jobs, more revenues, answering to a real need. So okay. <laughs> I like those ones, <laughs> simple ones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And just support someone's passions because you know what they've decided to do and work on is probably something they're super passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. Thank We're very so lucky to support them and thank yeah. you for, oh, for Thank this you for interview. taking the time. Oh, thank yeah. you for the time. At Global Partners for Development, our mission is to advance community-led initiatives that improve education and public health in East Africa. We envision a world in which every East African community has the capacity to implement dynamic, sustainable solutions to the challenges they face. To learn more, visit gpfd.org.